and welcome to Here another we episode of Laying Down the Lower 40k. A lower podcast, I'm going to keep going, a lower podcast in which we aim to separate our Dukari from our Dark Angels, our Tyranids from our Tau, and our Craft Worlds from our Chaos Marines, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer 40k stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about 40k. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crallen Allen. Yeah, hi, hi there. Who knows absolutely fuck all about 40k. Absolutely fuck all. And my asshole of a brother, Darren. <laughs> Reasonable hello. Who knows so much about 40k, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. Mm. Over the years, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series, albeit very interrupted, is an attempt to address that ignorance. Troglodyte! <laughs> what? <laughs> well, does anyone get the feeling that Dar may be verging on 100% Dar? Mate, let me just say the dial is firmly in the red. Yeah, we are through the looking glass. <laughs> it's at eleven. We are. Yeah, <laughs> he's. Uh, this is his final form. I think we're in trouble. The gauge glass is broken. <laughs> yeah, I'll be dead tomorrow. <laughs> uh, mate, all right. Well, we know Darren's doing all right. You're right, Ben. Hey, mate. Uh, yeah. You sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I <laughs> he mean, said without I'm hesitation. A bit, <laughs> a bit concerned about that intro. My my OCD's urging me to cancel the whole thing and ah, do it again. We'll but fix I'm, it I'm in the edit. It. It'll be fine. Seamless. Yeah. It'll be yeah. fine. Ben, if we were going to um, overdub Darren's bit, whose voice would we use? You bastard. Whose <laughs> <laughs> voice would we use? Mark Strong. Brian, Brian Blessed. <laughs> who's the old very small scottish kids tv presenter who was married to the really tall guy oh dressed like a little schoolboy. Oh, yeah um, one of the crankies the crankies the crankies, yeah. the, crankies. Yeah, the lady from the crankies <laughs> why not it's, it's a bold move making height jokes mate <laughs> i'm not joking about heights buddy <laughs> it's, it's one thing to make a joke and somebody else spit out coffee as a result but it's another thing entirely to spit out coffee as a result of your own joke like, it's like oh delayed, gonna be obnoxious this episode delayed he self-humor <laughs> he's gonna be a piece of work <laughs> brace yourself I remember having a very similar conversation with the two of you about who would play us in the uh, film adaptation of this podcast. And Darren said that it would be, for me, it would be Tilda Swinton. (laughs) (laughs) Dead ringer, mate. Dead ringer. Yeah, absolutely. It's the lankiness, you know, it's the lankiness. (laughs) I mean, she'd need to tone down the masculinity a bit, but she'd be able to pull it off. (laughs) (laughs) Right, before we move on, the usual uh, <laughs> requests for support, which we, we do so comfortably. Big thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. You guys are the soapy tits. If you're not part of this merry band, and by some weird twist of fate, you actually make it to the end of this episode, uh, you can click on the Patreon link in the description, and you can sign up today for as little as £3. But only if you make it to the end of the only episode. Only if you make it to the end of the episode. If you sign up before, whew, we'll set Darren on you. And he will be at 100% when he comes after. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> so this will give you access to our Discord so you can join our little uh, international group of 40K lovers. 
but there's also fantasy lovers on there. Yeah, there's also old world guys on there. You don't have to talk to them when you come on. If you only like 40k, that's it's totally fine. You, you yeah. don't have to speak. To we've whole sections devoted. Well, we have three channels devoted <laughs> desperately to. to but there are three 40K, whole channels. Three whole channels, and you can just blank those other fuckers. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, I I remember maybe about two of them, and every now and then I get a notification going, "Hey, I can't seem to access my thing. Go fuck yourself." to all of our old world listeners he loves you he's only he's 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 100 percent dark it's it's like russian roulette when he's at this stage who knows what's coming right you are in a relationship with me this is what it's like (laughs) if you don't fancy a subscription but you want to support the show there's a ton of other ways you could do that just click on the supporters link in the description where you'll find all of our affiliate links and other support platforms you can even buy us a coffee did you know that that was a thing dar i think you knew that was a thing i do yeah they can buy us did a you coffee. set that up? Yeah, you can yeah, buy, yeah. There's, there's, people there's, can buy us Here I'm paying for my own coffee like a chump. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for getting through that with us. Right, Kral, you know what time it is. Yes, mate. Citizen of the Imperium. It's time for frontal lobotomy or bottle in front of me. Yay! <laughs> I'm not at all disturbed by that. <laughs> Who's the who's the little lady's name that does that for us? That's Fiona. Warwick Davis. We talked about Fiona. Does, does Fiona know what she's saying? Uh, yeah, I think I think Michael probably explained what. One, she's Deutsch. Two, she sounds fairly young, and I don't know I think, if lobotomy or uh, does she even know the word bottle? The, well, <laughs> she's German, she mate. That. Of course, she does. I think she's six. Oh, sorry, I das bottle. Wrong. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. I'll have to double check. Dare bottle. D bottle. Anyway, Kral. Are you ready? Mm, yeah, mate. I know no, that you. That was the whole point, isn't it? I know. <laughs> I know that you are. <laughs> I know you've probably listened to the last episode like a cheating bastard, but that's fine. It's okay. Okay, here we go. Yeah. How yeah, big yeah, yeah, yeah. is a Chaos Space Marine warband? How many Chaos Space Marines are in a Chaos Space Marine warband? An average. Warband. An average. Oh shit! Uh, they can be as big as a regiment, can't they? No. How big is a regiment, <laughs> Darren? No. Okay. But what is uh, a warband? They're about yay big. <laughs> How many can fit in that space? For, for listeners, he's holding his big. hands up for the average penis length. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Oh, shit, that's Seven mil, right, Ben? Massive. <laughs> Massive. <laughs> Massive. Yeah. <laughs> this is a wide angle camera, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fish eye. <laughs> it's for, I, I, I grade that distance as about three Swintons. <laughs> <laughs> I have no flipping idea. No number springs to mind. I have no inspiration. Okay, let me just shoot at the shot in the dark a hundred it was a hundred fifty to a hundred chris oh shit I got, i'm gonna give you that one i'm gonna give you that one. well it was right well so i think i should well get done. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> you got exactly the right answer so you know we'll uh we'll bend the rules we'll let you uh <laughs> thank you ben, i mean next so time you need to be even more exact <laughs> yeah exactly yeah next time you need to say what the answer i've got written here and not something but, that's a part yeah. of it you said 50 to 100. The answer I have here is 50 dash 100. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ben, right, you ball okay. breaker. Go on. <laughs> Name the Chaos Space Marine chapter who were cursed to hear the voices of the dead. Wasn't the Rainbow chapter, that's for nope. sure. They were, they were awesome. They were uh, funky as fuck. The voices of the dead. It wasn't the word bearers, was it? No. 
No, it was okay. It, was, it wasn't one of the legions. It wasn't thousand, one of the big it, thousand, no. thousand sons. No, it wasn't one of the original legion no. names. It was one. Of, it was a new name. Let's call it. It wasn't okay. It was one of the new. Oh God, who knows? I barely remember the old ones. Uh, okay, <laughs> shot in the dark. The Kumquat Legion. No, it was the Crimson Slaughter. Crimson or the Crimson Sabers, as I think they were used to be called. Anyway, okay, no worries. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How's it written down in your notes? That's <laughs> the important thing. It's written down Thousand Sons. Oh, shit. You got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? No, it was the Crimson Slaughter. Oh. <laughs> you know. Pulling my leg. You bastard. <laughs> right. What planet did Angron's Legion become Space Marines? Uh, no planet I'd want to visit. I have no idea. Ben? It's Deshaya. He's correct. Deshaya. Yeah. Deshaya. Correct, yeah. 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 So. Right, moving on swiftly. Um, yeah. Kral, what is the ultimate goals, plural, of many chaos worshippers? What's their ultimate goal? Uh, the ultimate goal is to for chaos to rule the universe. For them as individuals, though, within that process. For them as individuals. What are they trying to achieve? Uh, I don't know, to submit themselves fully to whatever chaos flavor and, they're but into. But then what happens? How do they... Ascend, okay, I don't know, yeah, to go with that. demonhood. Yay! Boom! Yes. Oh, man. Powers of deduction. Fucking get in, Crow. 50%. Brilliant. Wait, what? The first one being a guess? First one was a guess, but it was... And then I managed to work out the other yep. ones. Wait, or the other one. Go. Cool, brilliant. Nice. All right, I look forward to the the bottle lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> See, it, it certainly seems like that's what's coming. Okay, so we've suitably mangled Wicked. that. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. Well, I thought that went very well. <laughs> <laughs> I have no notes whatsoever. Darren, this is all just a setup to make you look excellent. Yeah, exactly. You're so, welcome. All these entries. <laughs> you are welcome. Yeah, exactly. So what are we... Did you did you mention where we're going where we're going in this episode last episode we did not uh this episode which will probably be self-evident given all the marketing and the file name and the images we'll post uh, is all to do with the eldari hooray space elves space elves my dudes our first non-imperium well chaos was non-imperium but I kind of feel a bit familiar with Chaos yeah, yeah. already for obvious reasons. So Eldari. Eldari. So in the next two episodes, we're going to cover four flavors of Eldari. This episode, we're going to cover Craft World and Exodite. And then next episode, we'll cover Drukari, the Dark Eldar, and Harlequins. I had to draw a line somewhere, and that's where I've chosen it. So if you don't like it, and there's well, there's nothing I can really do about it. Is everything okay? The podcasts at home? are available. <laughs> what? I know this is probably getting ahead of it, but the, those those four groups that you've just described, they sound the the first three sound massive. The Harlequins strike me as quite a small. Are they quite small in terms of total size compared to the others? They are. A yes, is the short answer. But they're uh, very powerful. If you could imagine them as a cross between. Clowns, the SAS, and Timmy Mallet. <laughs> that's that's really what we're going for. And Amazing. for uh, non-UK-based listeners, just Google Timmy Mallet and sit back. 
it, it's yeah. quite a ride. There's going to be yeah. a lot of Googling in this episode. I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> Google. The Eldari, a fallen race is really what they are pitched as in uh, f- the current 40k timeline. They have existed for millions, if not billions. It was millions of years. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> just I'm, I, I have to make sure. <laughs> they either were created or uh, evolved or became allies of the old ones when the old ones existed at the dawn of recorded time. They were involved in the war in heaven, which is the great war between the kind of old one collective and a mystery evil race. It was the Necrons. It was totally the Necrons. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the Necrons who are not from Necromunda. Uh, maybe the, um, so <laughs> okay. 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 So they had the Eldari ended up with a galactic empire spanning the galaxy. That was the, the galactic empire was the clue. So the, Eldari have existed uh, in some state for about 60 million years, and they have ruled the galaxy for a significant portion of that time. Um, you said they ruled the universe. In, in, in what sense? They were just the apex species. They actually ruled as in they were dominating, they're out conquesting. What kind of uh, yes. rule are you uh, Basically, they owned space. They could do anything they wanted within the corporeal world. They used the webway, which was a construction of the old ones, to be able to travel instantaneously from planet to planet or from craft to craft, depending on where the web gates were. They were able to control not only the orbits of planets, but the orbits of stars uh, and the positions of stars within a galaxy. So they very much treated the galaxy as living inside a giant bonsai tree that they tended and they could move around and... um, adjust so they could literally move planets into habitable zones in order yes. to then populate yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. so were they uh, were they unchallenged uh, in terms uh, of largely the, unchallenged and, and this then feeds into their collapse so not there's not really all that much written uh, about the kind of day-to-day existence of the eldar as i will continue to call them well, no, I won't. I'll call them Eldari. The Eldari from year zero to fifty nine million nine hundred ninety thousand. What we're really looking at now is their kind of fall to decadence and their eventual collapse as a galactic race. So these are the the kind of archetypal elf narrative that you find in a lot of fantasy and sci fi writing where they were a great race there was some great cataclysm and now they're a shadow of their reflection of their former selves and it's really all to do with a character and i'll be interested to see if any of you can remember this character slanesh anyone remembers slanesh yeah never heard of them i think i saw that band yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't want to yeah, talk I mean, about it. They're, 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 they're kind of big band nights, Nash and the Slippery Aardvarks. It was such a great night. Really, it's good. I don't <laughs> remember much of it. I woke up very sore. Yeah, I do remember when they released the Slippery Aardvarks <laughs> yeah. into the crowd. That was fun. That <laughs> <laughs> got us um, moving. Moving. Um, as the... Eldar were unchallenged. They became decadent and foppish, but also cruel. We've talked previously about the kind of the psychic capacity of uh, a race, and um, we were talking about the humans in that instance and how they were moving towards being a race of psychers, and how the Emperor's Great Imperium was to slow that process down and focus it so it could be managed, it wouldn't run rampant. The reason that he wanted to do it that way was because of the collapse of the Eldari. They effectively indulged every single whim they ever had, and it was writ large across the galaxy. And the reflection of that kind of uh, decadent excess began to coalesce within the warp. So I did the Emperor know that Slanesh was... Does any? Buddy, know that Slanesh was born as a result of the Eldar. Is it known? Yes, there's a good handful of people who, uh, within the Imperium and other races, know uh, about the fall of the uh, Eldar. But it's literally a handful. They do have uh, there. There are texts that describe it, and there are, I suppose, you could say, there's actually a fair few more than a handful if you factor in chaos worshippers and kind of academics who fall into the kind of the grasp of uh, Zinch or Slanesh. They're aware of the importance of the, the Eldari in the birth of Slanesh. So as this process of indulgence continued, you know, up to and including sodomy with stars, uh, I've completely made that up. Uh, they um, are. <laughs> Word. <laughs> Word. It sounds like you, you would chafe. Do you, do you need a kind of harness for that? Is that a, yeah. <laughs> a sling? <laughs> you better wear some sunglasses. Uh, On your ass. Think what? factor 50. Think factor 1 million. Yeah. Yeah. suit the welder's helmet. <laughs> wear a hat. Leave a tap running. Um <laughs> Uh, this all built to a horrific crescendo where the kind of spiritual angst coalesced within the warp and gained sentience which is a word that's taken me three years to be able to pronounce properly (laughs) which which brought about the birth of slanesh as an entity as a kind of an awareness as a, a consciousness miss chris um creation of slash happened then what did the other three big ones already exist yes nurgle zinch and corn were they already a boot yes they were in their thing they were yep okay how did they feel when a new big player came on the scene was, was it was it something they did it take them by surprise did they have to adapt or are they kind of always aware of these energies and emotions and when they just kind of manifest and coalesce into a for lack of a better term a physical thing you know uh in the form of slanesh yeah how do the other three respond to that how does that fit into the and i mean the chaos pie the understated response would be they didn't respond very well to it because those three had divided up the warp between them 
and suddenly they had all lost a section of their own power, which had then been factored into this coalescing being. And so where there were three of them vying for kind of supremacy, there was now four. Uh, So they lost, I mean, they lost a third of their power each in terms of Good yeah, math. Good math. Thanks very much. But is that is uh, that actually? I'm, I'm on that... I'm on nine coffees so far this morning. <laughs> you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> it's only the ninth coffee that gets you to that hundred and ten percent dar. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> but is that how they, that would have happened? I mean, was the was some of the energy that Slanesh is made from before Slanesh was around? Was that going to the other three gods? Yeah. It was largely divided up. If you imagine it as kind of a, a large, uh, I suppose, pie, to use Chris's analogy. Are you hungry, mate? You're right. Um, <laughs> Starving. You know, hungry at- for forty k. Lord, yes, cow. Nom 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 nom. This pie is very bookish. This pie is very microphony. If you imagine the the center, the middle of the pie, looking down upon it, taking a planar view, that's where you have no doubt that that area belongs to Nurgle or to Zinch or to Korn or whatever. But as you get out towards the edges, it's a bit more kind of risk. Yeah, it's a bit kind of risque in terms of, well, I mean, he beat that guy to death, but he had a massive hard on when he was doing it. Is that really, is that really Korn? Yeah. Yeah. A guy died, so it's definitely corn. But the guy took a lot of pleasure in it. So is it? Does that? It's a, so it's, it's those a kind of pie diagram. In a Venn pie erection murder diagram, <laughs> yes. uh, the center bit that looks strange. No, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Uh, <laughs> I know where you were going. With that. Don't even don't go there. But you know, in the absence of Slanesh, then would corn have been like? Oh, that energy over there—that's a bit, it's a bit sexy. It's a bit, it's a bit risky. I'll just take that. I'll, do, I, I don't care if it's. I'll just have that. Like, yeah, he was going. No, 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 no. Just strap an axe to it. You'll be fine. It's one of mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just put a pneumatic <laughs> drill in it. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we, can da- we can put some. We can do some damage with that. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, it's got. Oh, it's got an STD. Oh, Nurgle, that's yours. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. <laughs> But Ben, on that on that point, you know, the you, you were talking about uh, uh, the energy and that the chaos gods draw from their worshippers or just beings in general. It's not like they get to choose it, right? It's like uh, murder and blood is just inherently like osmosis drawn to corn. It's not like he gets a say in it. So if there are kind of hedonism and yes. excess. Yeah. The chaos gods don't make do and just take that as worship, do they? That just kind of continues to go through the ether or the sea of souls. Well, um, they they and- did they did until Slanesh manifested. Yeah. They would have to, oh, in they- that grossly ridiculous example, Korn would have taken that guy. Uh, yeah, that, okay. that that guy's vital essence, shall we say? Yeah, it's juju. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and then <laughs> But if it was the say, if it was a scientist inventing a disease while having a rager, that would have been Nurgles. <laughs> right. Okay. 
I can see Ben. I can see the cogs turning in Ben's head. He's like, let me think of a scenario, which is really like, okay, what about if a guy was creating a really deadly pox, right, whilst having sex with three other people, okay, and he was changing? <laughs> it's like, how do yeah. Crow, you no, no, don't stop, mate. You are. Hold on, let me get a tissue. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, you are you're smashing this. That is great. But like, you know, is so when Slanesh came along, was Nurgle like, oh. I would have normally taken that guy, but I kind of didn't know what to do with him because he had a hard on while making a plague. So, yeah, fuck it, you have him. I don't know. He's, <laughs> Let he's me tell you, you're a jam. Like you're you're just now referencing the statements of many an NHS manager across the country. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, Darren, it sounds like Sinesh was doing the guys a favor. The, guy, the other <laughs> yeah. chaos gods a Clean favor. Like, they didn't know what to do with this weird, sexy, sexy, uh, hedonistic <laughs> energies. <laughs> so Sinesh just kind of, you know, he was like, Look, I'll, I'll deal with those. Like. Those things that you don't want to deal with, I'll deal. You're with welcome. Let, yeah. let me tell you, I am delighted with the way this episode is going. It's made me really happy. <laughs> so, as the over the thousands of years that the psychic manifestation of the turmoil of the hedonistic uh, Eldari was happening, and I say thousands, I mean you know tens of thousands of years, it corrupted real space around kind of these focused pockets of Eldari. And so you had the warp and real space merging to create, as we discussed in the previous episodes, areas of like demon worlds and uh, warp storms and, and, and. This wasn't the totality of the the galaxy, but it was it, it was definitely very well seasoned with orgy-induced demonic activity. And those warp storms, if we'll go back to our Imperium sessions, is what corrupted and disrupted the galactic-spanning pre-Imperium human empire. And it's what cut Terra off from the rest of the kind of galaxy as a whole. Uh, if you'll recall, the Emperor came to power on Terra, and then suddenly all the warp storms went away. It's when those warp storms. No, I'm about to explain it to you, Chris. Oh, the oh, entire. Oh. <laughs> so the uh, all the warp storms disappeared because all that kind of roiling sex energy manifested itself within Slanesh or as Slanesh, and so all of that energy was pulled across the galaxy into the sentient being of a new god, and the birthplace of that god was the original home systems of the Eldari race. That area of space was drawn completely into the warp, and you can still get in and out of it in there in the warp storm itself, but that is the <laughs> Just like the Eldari of, do. Yeah, oh yeah. And that is, that is the Eye of Terror. That is right. the area of the galaxy where the, as we discussed last episode, the Chaos Space Marine legions fled to because that's where they're able to commune with their gods and their demons directly. So basically, yes, the Eldari fucked Slanesh into existence and created a, a space anus where all of the um, <laughs> evil can go and do that. Yeah. Wow. That's I ran, out of, an, was, I ran out of Slanesh's... analogies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I ran out of analogies. You did fine. That was the Eye of Terror is Slanesh's or Slanesh's. Slanesh? 
Who's Slanesh? <laughs> that dude, that person's birthplace. Is that what you're saying? That's, it's, that's, it's, where, that's where yes, all the energy is coalesced. That's birth, where it happened. Yes. That was ground yes, zero. It's the, okay. Exactly right. That was ground zero. It's not Slanesh's domain. It's just an. It's the area where Slanesh uh, gained sentience and punched a hole through uh, reality. So, are the planets of the um, the original Eldari homeworlds? You say they got drawn into the warp. Do they still exist in corporeal? They're space? all still there. They're, They're all, all demon still, worlds. They're all demon. You worlds, can right. you can visit them, and frequently people do. Lunatics and madmen, in my opinion. Uh, the old <laughs> the odd tourist. <laughs> um, but they're still there. They're referred to as the crone worlds. They're the the kind of fallen home worlds of the original Eldari race. So you have all of those planets. There's whole cities there just devoid of life. Because when Slanesh manifested, everything that was living in terms of Eldari was effectively sucked into the warp uh, uh, or went mad and went on a killing frenzy and died as Slanesh absorbed the souls of 99.99% of an entire race. So the the Eldari that still exist are, you know, a fraction of a fraction of 1% of the original Eldar race. What kind of uh, numbers are we talking about? I, uh, like hundreds, at least hundreds. A lot hundreds. Okay. <laughs> uh, numbers of whom? They are dying. Like how many? How before many souls? Exactly. How many souls made Slanesh, and how many are still? Uh, alive? There's no real hard and fast number, but we're we're talking less than a billion galactically for Eldar. So not not a huge amount. Are uh, uh, still alive. Are still alive, right. which Prior means that, there, there were, were billions, there were, if not trillions. Yeah. Yes, billions, if not trillions, uh, of long-lived decadent people uh, and died. So, Mister Chris, the creation of Slanesh by the elves were the elves regret? Did they regret that? What were their reaction to it? Obviously, it changed things forever. Uh, yes, it did change things forever. Uh, the Eldari, thank you, Chris, not elves, uh, were able to. Uh, <laughs> They're they're a mournful, well, aspects of them are mournful beings. Certain others are not and continue in the way that they existed. And that really mm. comes down to the the way the four different Eldari factions moved forward. And it'd be interesting to touch on that just now. The Drukari or the Eldari that became the Drukari, that became the Dark Eldar, they realized that. Slanesh is constantly hungry for their souls uh, and for the souls of all Eldar. So whenever an Eldar dies, if they're not able to get into a waystone or various other methods of trickery, then they are their soul is consumed by by Slanesh. Uh, Mr. Chris? Uh, you said waystones. Is that not yes. a fantasy old world thing? It is, they have waystones in 40k. It is, it is also a 40k thing. Yeah. Um, are they in the same form? Are they like little little obelisks or big obelisks? Bejazzled. No. Bejazzled the, obelisks. The waystones for the Eldari, uh, and usually the Azurani, who are the craft world Eldar, it appears as like a gem pendant that's put on their armor or worn around their neck. And if they die, their soul goes into that, uh, that gemstone. 
and then that gemstone is placed upon a thing that we'll discuss later in this episode. So the in terms of how they get around uh, being, um, I wanted to use the term sucked off, but you know what I meant, drawn into. Do it, bro. Uh, Come on. Uh, yeah, treat yourself, Darren. Treat yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, so many. I, I like. I mean, I've even gone too full dar for me. I'm trying to calm down. <laughs> uh, it's too. It's bad. God damn. Um. So the four factions, the Drukari, exist in the webway because they're they they are safe from the day to day predations of Slanesh. However. They have to restore their souls because they're in the warp. They're kind of they've got a low. How would you say? It? There's a, a kind of low pulse drain on their souls, as is their soul stuff is kind of unravelled and pulled into the warp via the webway. Uh, they replenish that through torture, through the pain of others, uh, and so they come up with excruciating tortures for. Uh, the slaves that they capture and the energy of that of the pain and the anguish it kind of re tops up their battery so a haggard drukari a haggard old looking drukari if they torture enough will be able to in fact look young and vital again and and be young and vital again it's like a, an elixir for them wow it's- the both the exodite, both the exodites and the Azurani, the Craftworld Eldar, uh, they use waystones, and as we mentioned, the waystones, small little gem that is uh, put on their armor or worn as a pendant, and if they die, it goes into that pendant. Their soul goes into that pendant, and then they place their soul stone on either the Wraithbone core of a craft world, which we'll discuss this episode, or the Wraithbone world tree spirit of a Exodite world. They're in fact the same thing, and so you end up with this large kind of sexy tomb of svelte Eldar souls. Mr. Chris. Svelte. <laughs> That that last step uh, uh, of the process after they die, their soul goes. They don't into do it the themselves, stone. Chris. Somebody okay, does it you. for I was them. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like someone needs to carry that for them. Yeah, that that yeah, 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 needs yeah. to be done yeah. by a by a mate. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So do they have do they have like um like apothecary guys who go around like the battlefield and pick up the stones when they're done? Oh, and, and, any any yeah, any Eldar can pick it up and stick it on and return it to the right, associated okay. craft world or Exodite planet and uh, put it on the the core, Mister Chris. Can the enemies of the Eldari pick them up and either use it themselves, yes, or use it as host as kind of uh, 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 like negotiating ammo or anything uh, like that? Uh, only if they're aware of what what it in fact is. There's a lot of uh, waystones that are just kind of held on mantelpieces in the Imperium, uh, from you know, found on a on an old battlefield. There and is they, a, they're none the wiser. They don't know what's in it. No, they have no so, idea what's in it. It's just this nice looking Xenos artifact. Uh, but they will does, be hunt. They will eventually be hunted down and returned. And if that happens, would the soul of the Eldari, would they be sentient, like, just sat on the mantelpiece? There, there, there is a Some level of sentience, like, yeah. Let me the yeah. fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. 
What um what happened? What would happen if the stone was uh, destroyed? Like if it was smashed? Or uh, the soul would immediately transfer to the warp and be swallowed by Slanesh. There is a quite a good uh, story within one of the codices where a, a howling banshee, a, a type of Eldari warrior, is killed, and uh, the demon of Slanesh plucks the waystone from their armor cracks it between his claws and drops it into his mouth and absorbs the soul wow, of the like uh, a roar egg. Get, yeah yeah uh, in, and <laughs> the way the way it's described is that the demon shivers kind of in the same way i shiver when i have a shot of tequila do you know that kind of <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. idea the shimmy wow. yeah um, <laughs> 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 yeah then, then, so, then does the uh, walk into the dance floor dance before yeah, the groove on. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up ladies. <laughs> I've just got a vision of this kind of Slaneshi bar where there's a demon walking around with a bandolier of waystones saying, uh, you know, <laughs> give us some money, I'll, you can have one hot, of these. Hot and pants. <laughs> yeah. And like, <laughs> shot, shot, flaming, flaming shot, flaming Eldar song. <laughs> so as... During this process of corruption, we'll call it moral corruption, or uh, existence without consequences, really, is what we're talking about here for the Eldari. They were able to do whatever they wanted, so they did. It became clear to kind of space travelers or, uh, you know, those Eldar who really only visited the home world every hundred or so years, as we would reckon it, that something was up and that the every time they revisited, the worlds were getting worse and worse, uh, more cruel, more decadent, a lot of towers in the shapes of certain body parts, uh, <laughs> not pinkies, carry on. Uh, and they kind of saw the writing on the wall. They could sense this kind of bad vibe in quotes, uh, in the, not only on the planets, but in the space around the planets that they uh, called their home worlds. Uh, and so some of them decided, you know, we should probably, uh, do survival prepping here because this is headed in a bad direction. Uh, and we may want to just have a life outside of this type of civilization. They weren't aware of what was going to happen. They just didn't want to exist in the same way uh, as the bulk of the Eldari race. Mr. Chris. You might have just answered it then. Who are you talking about then? Are they are these like the everyday Eldari that kind of saw the writings on the wall? Or this is different species no, no, it's, race it's, of space fans? Yeah, it's, it's the Eldari. I'm only referring to Eldari in this kind of okay, uh, aspect. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, so it's the ones that were like uh, on the merchant fleets or in the kind of some sort of uh, space navy capacity, a space force, one might say. They weren't going to the sex parties. No, they, weren't, they were they weren't, you know, working uh, yeah. for a living. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that sex parties are not work. <laughs> good recovery good well I also recovery, like there is the though. knowing smile on Ben's face <laughs> not that he's ever been invited he does He does like craft services listen some I know some people that work at those things and they're good people sex workers are people too oh whoa you took that way too far <laughs> <laughs> is there such a thing on this podcast I'm not sure I'm not sure no no not really not really I just love the idea that uh, my way of recognizing people as people is to mock them. <laughs> <laughs> I find it charming because everyone does that to me. Um, <laughs> so these uh, these groups of uh, Eldari, 
were broadly split into three kind of sections. Those who would become the craft worlds set about building massive ships, which they called craft worlds. So these are spacecraft the size of cities, the size of huge cities, like the size of London floating through space. Cool. Um, And it's kind of all these kind of swooping architectural shapes and it's very kind of svelte looking, which as I understand is a type of wet Mm. felt. Uh, as it kind of glides through, I thought it was the smelly void. felt. Uh, ooh, they. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but these craft worlds uh, were fully kind of hermetically sealed uh, civilizations. They had their own cultures within them, uh, all based on the original Eldari culture, but modified to stop the collapse or stop the kind of spread of decadence. Um, another group were referred to as the Exodites, and these were how would you say them? They'd be like space wood elves, really. Insofar so cool. as they would go to a, a kind of a, a, an untouched maiden planet, which, or sorry, an untouched virginal planet, and they would terraform it for their own needs. And are these are these the guys that? Ride, ride on dinosaurs. dinosaurs. These are the yeah. guys that end up riding on dinosaurs. Yeah, and, and let me just clarify: that's not a sex thing. That's they actually okay. do use dinosaurs as mounts. That's amazing. And so and have sex they <laughs> look, Chris. What they do outside of battle time is their own business. Yeah. All right. No, it's everyone's business because you let them do their own thing. They'll fuck a fucking demon god into existence. All right. <laughs> uh, so the exodites very much were craft worlds writ large in terms of these maiden worlds as they became uh, to be called so planets structured around very kind of agrarian basic uh, Eldari arboreal. culture arboreal is a good word mm. uh, to throw in mm. here uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure there were any ass spiders uh, but I'm sure they they, they come along in, in due There's course time. There's time. And so a a defining characteristic of both craft worlds and maiden worlds, which are the Exodite planets, uh, are these wraith-bone constructs, these wraith-bone cores. That's wraith and bone put together. That's the name. Uh, Bone wraiths. Got it. Bone wraiths, yep. So these are... uh, Wraith-bone is a psychoactive compound that any Eldar if they meditate, can bring into existence. Uh, and what? so wow. they they can sit there and suddenly they can make small kind of a couple of centimetres in diameter uh, items. Uh, so a wow. lot, there's a lot of... Where does it come form. from? Or does it just appear out of nothing? Or do they have to like sneeze? Achoo! And it's just like, oh, there you go. Yeah. A pill. <laughs> oh, I've got a, I've got a wraith cold. Oh. <laughs> they, give it to, they give it to each other at weddings. They're like, you can have this... <laughs> Wraith snot <laughs> made for you. <laughs> so yeah, what does um, it? What do they materialize it? What does it? Yeah, does it? Does it? How does it come into being? They effectively manifest it from the warp. It's that. It's oh. that's an oversimplification of what of the process. But right. it's with all psychic energy. It, all psychic energy is pulled from the warp, uh, and when you manifest wraithbone, it's done. Uh, through that same process, it's like, it's like warp limescale. It's just kind of yes. a, a byproduct yeah. of the use of psychic energy. 
That's mm. a strangely astute. Who are you? <laughs> I wish I could manifest my wraith bone supply into existence. I have to go and meet a guy. <laughs> Raining and everything. It's like, ugh. There is the, I really want it. <laughs> amusingly, there is a novel where uh, one of these kind of chaos cults come across a, a, a kind of stash of wraithbone or a block of wraithbone and they grind it into powder and snort it. Wow. To Good times end? we had, or was it the worst yeah. evening ever? Oh my God, you end up with such a hair. You get the post wraithbone drip, it's awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I've got your chewing gum. Ugh. I mean, is, is, oh. is it still active wraith it is a psych of- it is a psychoactive compound uh, wow, wow. not dissimilar to spook uh that, that we mentioned in the necromunda episode but it's a uh, it it doesn't have the capacity to turn you into a psyker um mm, under certain circumstances it might but all the high none rare. of the come down that sounds great yeah it sounds great in craft worlds, and indeed in Exodite worlds, you have these chaps and chapesses referred to as bone singers. And what they're able to do is they're able to manifest larger and larger constructs of um, of wraithbone into reality. And it's these guys that make the Eldari dreadnoughts uh, and the the wraith lords, uh, I beg your pardon, and wraith guard, which are uh, interesting venture into necromancy for the uh, the Eldari. That's interesting. So they're like construction workers almost. Uh, yes, in a, in, a, in a way, yeah, because they're the ones that build and repair uh, the actual infrastructure of craft worlds and exodite worlds. And um, and as a and as a as a substance is it is it hard? Can you like can you make armor out of it? Is it that resilient it, it, or it, it is an armored substance. Uh, uh, the, most of the Eldari armor is made out of it, especially for aspect warriors. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves now. So it is a drug and a material that you can fabricate things with. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're, if you're right, <laughs> it has been used as a drug in a very specific single instance. It's not. It's not a drug oh, as per se. You can't be like I don't know, lost on a planet wearing full armor and just on a kind of cold night just lick your breastplate and get off your tits you know like, oh that'll pass the time hey ben is yeah i was about to say ben is that frog skin armor really a good move here <laughs> <laughs> you want you want to try it bro go on you want to try bro i haven't licked not this really <laughs> and so see seeing the kind of uh, the fate of their race writ large on the the galactic stage all of these craft worlds set sail uh, in quotes uh, and the maiden worlds sort of finish their construction and then close most if not all of their uh, warp portals their warp gates and so when the collapse came and this kind of supernova of awfulness emerged from the center of the uh, the Eldari homeworlds they were relatively protected. They were still. They were still went through a, a great deal of uh, spiritual, uh, emotional, maybe sexual. Who knows? Turmoil. Uh, and uh, once the kind of storm abated, it was revealed that not all of the craft worlds were able to get away. Uh, a lot of them were caught within the rapidly expanding kind of uh, supernova of Slanesh. Oh. Oh. Uh, and a lot of uh, maiden worlds were 
kind of terraformed a little bit too close to the home world. So you see a lot of um, maiden worlds scattered around the galactic rim and also the kind of more easterly parts of the galaxy as you're looking at a map of the Imperium. The craft worlds are all seem to be sailing away from, continuously away from the... From that point. Uh, from the Eye of Terror. And, and I mean, you would, wouldn't you? The clue's in the name. <laughs> but um, you, they would have had no no way of knowing how big that kind of uh, effect would have been. None at all. None at all. They didn't even know what was going to happen. They just knew something bad was going to happen. They knew something bad. Exactly right. They, they, they got a, they got a a bad feeling or they got a feeling that there was some bad mojo coming. Um, Eldari uh, intuition. Eldari intuition. And indeed it did. There was bad mojo. Bad mojo was had. Um, But there was a lot of, I told you so. Do you know what? You're the king of segues here, Chris, because that's exactly what mm. I'm about to talk about. How did they mm. change their culture to stop themselves, A, from falling into uh, the grasp of Slanesh, uh, and B, to be able to live a life where you weren't in danger of having your soul suck through your spine? And I think we should maybe start with when this all happened. So craft worlds as they exist today within the 40k setting have existed for 10,000 years which is an interesting number because that's also how long it's been since the Horus Heresy and indeed the Great Crusade and thus the Horus Heresy was only possible with the fall of the Eldar and the the kind of creation of the Eye of Terror there because that gave the Chaos Forces instant access to the real world, but it also wiped out, effectively wiped out the kind of ruling galactic race uh, and allowed humanity a somewhat easier time during the Great Crusade when the Emperor was trying to bring back the Imperium of Man or the uh, the Galactic Empire of Man, which would become the Imperium. Mr. Ben. Two questions. Um, did the uh, Great Crusade encounter the Eldar? During yes. their, the expansion. They did. It did, okay. yes. Yeah. And you say that the craft worlds have been around for about ten thousand years. Were they around surely they would have had to start building the craft worlds before the the, the eye of oh, yes, yeah. creation. I mean there there would have been a hundred to a thousand years before the actual fall the Eldari gotcha. who would become the craft world Eldari kind of started that process. Right, right. Um, okay. okay. Yeah, but but when you're able to psychically manifest only like uh, two square centimeters at a time, building a city takes a while. Yeah. Are the whole cities made of wraithbone then? The ho- every kind of hard surface is wraithbone within uh, wow. an Eldari. So th- there are some exceptions. They have some very nice teak countertops. Uh, and you know they'll, they'll be China teapots. You know, it's the whole, it's wraithbone ex- accented with other materials. Can the material uh, be? Is it just like stone? Once it's made, you can carve it into the shapes you need. Or like you know, if you were making like a, I don't know a pavement, let's say in one of the the craft worlds, does it need to be brought? Does the wraithbone need to be kind of brought into the corpora? It needs to be manifested in place in the shape that you want it to be. More the latter than the former. So it's 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 described in the lore as being sung into shape by these bone singers, uh, which I often thought would be an amazing porn name. But how we've gotten back onto Slanesh again, I don't know. Um, 
<laughs> but but it, it's a good point well made. Yes, they, uh, these uh, Eldari bone singers do in fact sing their buildings into existence uh, and, and other wow. things with Wraithbone. It's in, an incredibly tough material, incredibly resilient material, uh, but it's it's nonetheless uh, has a bone-like uh, brittleness to it if it even gets cracked a little bit you're able it shatters really right okay. uh, at that stage so we have these post apocalyptic or post apocalypse uh, eldari on a floating city how are they going to structure their civilizations well they eventually within a few uh, decades create a, a system of paths it's how they manage their kind of psychic need and their emotional density. The Eldari, all of them, feel things somewhere between 10 to 20 times stronger than we as humans would. So when they're happy, they're real happy. Uh, and it goes down into their kind of very core. When they're angry, just get out of the way. You know, it's that they're, they don't feel basic forms of emotions. They're all extreme or they have the capacity to only feel extreme emotions. When they're content, they're really content. Oh, God, getting them off a sofa, you need a Wraithbone pry bar. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> and about three months to make it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they developed a, a system called the Paths, P-A-T-H-S, uh, or Pathways, uh, and what they really are is a way of living, a way of focusing on a specific aspect of culture up to the point where you are a master of that. And at which stage you can continue within that path where you become locked in or you can start a new path. So you have uh, every kind of artisan, you know, the path of the carpenter, the path of the bone singer, the path of, uh, you know, the welder. Uh, do they weld? There probably is, probably wraithbone welders. But also of arts and poetry and all kind of aspects of culture. I'm just imagining, like, talent trees on an RPG game. Like, oh, yes. which one should I go for? Which one should I go for? And you kind of get to go all or nothing, really. Don't spread your, your skills. Exactly. I always right. spread. I always spread. And I always fucking Don't, regret man. it. I always regret it. I'm Just always focus. Like, oh, yeah. I should have, should have gone that way. I, I tend to go at, like everything into charisma, somewhat ironically. Uh, and um, <laughs> compensating and, uh, much. <laughs> I, I get amazing choices, but I get I get killed by like even a, a small giant Squishy, rat. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody small giant rat near you. <laughs> or I use wisdom as my dump stat, and I ended up just being this pretty idiot wandering around. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Cooking with Waystones. I'm your host and all-round sexy good time guy, Slanesh. That's right, it's me. Hello. This week, we'll be looking at a classic, Scrambled Eggdari. First off, you'll need to collect some waystones, but not any old waystones. They need to be collected from the bodies of freshly deceased Eldari who died in an excruciating but sexy manner. Perhaps shot in the head by a sniper with a hard-on. Or even just a simple, frisky throttling. Excellent. Good. Now, 
keep them on your mantelpiece for at least two decades, and if anyone asks about them, just say you think they look pretty. Once matured, take each individual waystone, pop it between your teeth, and give it a little crunch. This will release the Eldari goodness trapped inside, just bursting with flavor. Mmm, yummy. Now, just pop a handful into your soul blender, add some rosemary and thyme, the recently admitted sins of a human sex slave, a smattering of freshly picked newborn wangs from Wang World 7, and for that special mushroom undertone, some orc cheese. Now just give that all a little sugar. Wonderful, splendid. Once fully sugared, slurp it into your pan which you've had pre-eating at a sexy 360 million degrees. While cooking, remember to continually fold the soul eggs. This will help to scramble the soles and keep them moist. Yeah. Now these can be served on their own as a lovely winter warmer. Brrr. Or if you want to spice things up a touch, you can take inspiration from my most devout minion, the greater demon Guy Fieri. Fry the whole thing in Jägermeister and garnish with raisins. Fantastic. Nice. And there you have it. Another absolute peach from my cookbook. Waystones. They're just, they're just really, really great. So yes, they become these uh, kind of recognized masters of their craft. But it isn't just kind of cultural aspects of this. There are also uh, paths for psychics. They have the way of the seer, the way uh, of the far seer, way of the warlock. And then you have uh, the way of the warrior. Now, this is where we get into a bit of the kind of cosmology of the Eldar. Because every Azurani, who is the craft world Eldar, is able or has a suit of armor and is able to pick up a gun, which is a shuriken catapult. Uh, and that is, if you think of a, a, a magnetic rail gun that fires wraith bone shuriken, that's that's what their gun is. Okay. Because I was uh, thinking so, something with a bit of shitty elastic. I was like, that sounds yeah. dangerous. You don't want to you don't want to holster that loaded. <laughs> you can't you can't and you can't do wraith bone elastic because once you let it go, it just stays exactly where it is. Who designed this gun? <laughs> also, it took you three months to make it, by which point your your target's Yeah, you're gone, already right? dead. You're already dead, yeah. So there is a level of citizen soldiery uh, going on with the Eldari brackets. Does that sound familiar, fellas? Close brackets. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh. But they do have a dedicated aspect or dedicated path of the warrior focused purely on the, and I'm going to use this word in quotes, aspects of warfare that are endemic within all warfare, like stealth, close combat, uh, shock and awe, uh, the kind of basic veteran kind of skills you need jump pack troops for uh, flying troops uh, and heavy weapon troops. Each one of those has their own path within the kind of broader scope of what's called the Aspect Warriors. See what they did there? That's very clever. So mm. you have, uh, for instance, the Aspect of the Destroyer, of the kind of dragon. 
and those are referred to as the fire dragons. And these are Eldari troops, heavily armored, who carry flamethrowers and and melter guns. You know the kind of microwave fusion guns that can melt anything in front of it. You have. Uh, warriors focused on stealth uh, and close combat who are referred to as the striking scorpions and these are green clad or, or green armor clad Eldari with shuriken pistols chain swords chain swords and they've got something called a mandy blaster which is on their helmet oh, yeah. they have this this rig <laughs> that fires uh needle. fires mdma at people yeah <laughs> the crowds are like shoot me shoot me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mr chris go on uh you said that uh, like uh legions of the uh flamers and the heavy melter uh, yeah. wielding units do they are they all in one unit cuz if I was a general, I'd probably spread those around. I'd probably have one flamer per squad. Do you know what I mean? I would put all my combustible units in one basket, as it were. Yeah. So, yes. So uh, the kind of basic Eldari troop type, which are referred to as the Guardians, you have Guardian Defenders, which have ranged weapons, and the Storm Guardians, which have close combat weapons. The Storm Guardians do have access to flamers and to melter guns, for squad support. What I'm referring to with the Aspect Warriors is you have an entire squad armed in that fashion who are, you know, the best of the best in terms of Mm. uh, soldiers uh, who you can send on specific missions to take out specific uh, targets and fill roles, which is why they're referred to as Aspect Warriors because they they master a a certain aspect of war. So if you yeah. had them on the tabletop, would you would would they move around as a squad together? As a single squad, yeah. You 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 wouldn't split them up and have like Chris said, you know, like one you'd have a, a squad made of like one scorpion dude and then another flamey dude and then a, a guardian no. dude. No. No, no, they they together. all they they operate in concert. That's not to say that you there are not mixtures of aspect warriors or aspect temples, as they're referred to, who don't work well with each other. Like you have right. uh, what's referred to as the Dire Avengers. These are the kind of the SAS of the Eldari, in quotes, who are real kind of veteran uh, soldiers, and they combine quite well with other aspects. In fact, work quite well with most aspects. The jetpack troops are the kind of swooping hawks, uh, and oh, yeah. they have specific. Each aspect temple has a specific way of arming themselves. So the uh, Dire Avengers have shuriken catapults, uh, and their leaders have certain types of power weapon. So they're able to pin an enemy down, say. While the swooping hawks, who are equipped with kind of uh, quite high powered las guns. But they also have grenade packs on their thighs. So when they fly over a troop, they can drop grenades directly onto them. Uh, <laughs> so then, awesome. yeah. Pop, So they can. The pictures of them now, like, they're so colorful. Like compared to yeah. a lot of the other miniatures, they just seem to be like really vibrant, bold colors, like primary colors. 
I, I they're not afraid like, of being shot, are they? They are not afraid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, say what you like about them, they look fabulous on the battlefield. Um, <laughs> were you sure a bullseye sigil on your chest is a, <laughs> is a good design? <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so if you had like an army of them, would they still all be painted in the separate colors? Or would you? Yes, because they are, you have to think of them as religious warriors. They're, they're not really, but that's their, their, kind of specialism is based within the mythology of the Eldari race gotcha. uh, and that all comes back to a being that we'll discuss well probably discuss it now is they have a bloody-handed god called Kyla Mensha Kane now I wonder lads or if Kane you've ever heard short. it or Kane for short exactly right <laughs> we ever come across yeah. someone like that no. I've tried so at, at the heart of each craft world there is a, a, a shrine where a, a sliver of the essence of an actual god exists, kind of either standing still or sat on a throne. It depends on the, on the, the craft world. This is a piece of the broken god, the broken bloody-handed god, Cain, Kylamensha Cain. Cain became broken at the moment that Slanesh manifested. So when Sunesh came into being and started hunting down the other gods of the Eldari, Cain sacrificed himself to be able to uh, give the other gods enough time to go and hide effectively. And, and cool. some were able to, some were not. In the process, and I'm simplifying this down way, way too much, I suspect, Cain was shattered into a, a you know hundreds of thousands of pieces some of those pieces actually ended up manifesting inside craft worlds and the wraithbone itself responded by creating spontaneously creating a shrine for this uh, sliver of a god now it's not just a kind of weird chunk of flesh it is in fact you know a a, a 20 to 30 foot high uh, iron statue hollow suit of armor of the um of the god himself uh, and you can actually use that figure on the tabletop uh, it, it's it's a figure you can use uh, in the game how, how tall did you say it was it's somewhere between 20 and 30 feet yeah so so on the tabletop is it quite a large figure then oh it's a big centerpiece miniature yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's i can't remember how much it costs it's it's in the way gets in the way it, it dies a little bit too easy for my liking but you know there we go swings and roundabouts um i mean is that is that not the case i mean i've i is that not the case with most eldar that they they're they're very powerful but they're also very weak on defense yeah they're what's referred to as a glass cannon they're incredibly effective but if you just go up and slap them they shatter into bits um <laughs> bitch slap <laughs> bitch slap so at the heart of all these craft worlds is a god, it, the still form of a god that only really wakes or is awoken at a time of war. Now, all of the aspect shrines that have all these kind of super duper but really focused warriors, they're all headed, they're all led by what's referred to as an exarch. And this is an Eldari who's walked many paths, including the path of the aspect warrior that they're on. 
and who have decided not to leave that path ever. They are now dedicating themselves to the rest of their lives to that specific aspect. And they take on the role of kind of priests, warrior priests of uh, that aspect of Cain. And so when the craft worlds need to be roused to war, there's a, a meeting is held between kind of warlocks and farseers who are the uh, the kind of wizard prophets of the Eldar. They will select a group of um, exarchs and one of them will be uh, anointed as the young king. That exarch walks into the shrine with the embodiment of Cain. The door is closed. They hear horrific noises uh, screaming, crying, uh, giggling, giggling, maybe some really bad drum and bass. Who knows? Uh, and then <laughs> the doors to the temple are doors to the temple of Cain are flung open, and out comes this walking kind of idol of a god who is has their molten kind of core heating up. Uh, their iron skin, so they're glowing this kind of horrible red, but their hands are dripping with blood. Who knows where from? The young king. Uh, and, but it eternally drips. <laughs> it's, it drips forever. That sounds inconvenient. Yeah, and there's no, there's no remains of the young king anywhere. How the statue is brought to life, no one can say it. But when it comes to life, it is as if it is Cain itself. Uh, wow, and right. when the doors are opened, every Eldari on the craft world knows that they are to go to war footing. So they all, you know, they dust the, the bone dust off their bone armor and they get their bone guns and they march the little bony asses down to the marshalling grounds. <laughs> bone this, bone that. Bone that. <laughs> bony, 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 bone. Get to it. All, all, the, all, the, asset, all the aspect warriors uh, then put on ritual face paint and don their, uh, their their helmets. Interestingly, with the Aspect Warriors, when they don their helm, they are able to subdue their own individuality and all that's left is the kind of manifestation of that aspect that they're embodying. Uh, so the swooping hawks effectively act like really angry falcons and the striking scorpions take on this kind of scuttling arachnoid style movement. Uh, the howling banshees, which is another aspect, they are kind of warrior women for the most part who they're able to use their vocal cords and amplifiers within their in their helmets to paralyze the nervous systems of foes as they attack. And then we have the, I've mentioned the Dire Avengers and the Fire Dragons, but you also have the Dark Reapers, who are smaller squads of black-clad Eldari who use rocket launchers to destroy uh, enemy emplacements and that kind of stuff. There are other aspect warriors. Um, one of my favorites is referred to as the Warp Spiders. Um, and these have teleport backpacks uh, and guns that fire clouds of monomolecular wire. So they're able to bamf into a position, spray it all down with wire that if you move, it just kind of cuts you into millions of little pieces uh, and then bamf out. But they're named after a, an animal, in quotes, which uh, is effectively a, a small wraith spider 
And these are wraith-bone constructs that are able to merge into the wraith-bone cores of craft worlds and maiden worlds. They kind of enforce the implicit racism of the undead by being able to eat renegade Eldari spirits or of uh, demon spirits that make it into the Wraithbone core. Oh, cool. Well, like kind of yeah. like little caretakers. Yeah, little caretaker spiders. Little, yeah. nano, little nanobot. Yeah. Well, not nanobot, but you know what I mean. That's cool. So in, like in, in addition to all these fantastic warriors, you have all the usual uh, accoutrements of war. You've got various types of vehicle. Most, in fact, all of the vehicles the Eldari have are hover vehicles or flight vehicles there's no tracked or or wheeled vehicles so you've got lots of jet bikes lots of vipers which are jet bikes with a heavy weapon mounted on the back you then have various types of hover tank uh, various types of airplane but i think the most interesting aspects airplanes that hover (laughs) get out of town yeah no, actually, no, you're right. Those ones are wheeled. Uh, you then have... <laughs> Those ones have tracks. <laughs> but the most interesting uh, aspect of the, if you excuse the pun, of the uh, Eldari system is their use of what we would consider necromancy. So they have what used to be referred to as dreadnoughts, which are these uh, in the Imperium if a warrior becomes uh, mortally wounded but still is uh, seen as a heroic figure, their remains will be interred in an amniotic sack inside of this walking kind of death machine. Oh, yeah, it's the sack inside of a box inside of a slightly bigger box inside of another sack inside of a machine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the Eldari have a similar kind of construct, but it uses waystones. So... No what they'll way. do is they'll attach a hollow waystone to the wraithbone core of a craft world. They will pray to the spirits within, and a suitable warrior spirit will put itself into the uh, the waystone, and then that waystone is attached to a solid wraithbone construct. And we have three kind of uh, variations of these. Uh, we have the Wraith Guard, which are about nine foot tall and carry these um, what's referred to as D cannons or dimension cannons, disruptor cannons. Uh, and these fire bolts of pure warp energy and are able to, if you're hit cool. by it, whatever bit of you is hit is sucked into the warp and put back. Uh, so you basically mutate to death. Or if it's large enough, uh, you basically walk around with chunks of you missing. Um, so sorry, it hits you. It, the bit it hits goes to the warp, and then it comes back. Yeah, I, it, it yes, and, and it's then mutated. It's either mutated or it comes back differently and in a different point of space. Uh, <laughs> I think, <laughs> i.e., it doesn't come back. Nothing like a boomerang, though. Yeah, okay. yeah, it doesn't come back. Yeah. Uh, yeah wow. Okay. <laughs> And so you also then have what's referred to as wraith blades, which are the uh, they're wraith guard, but they're armed for close combat. They have axes and shields, or they have two big swords. Um, slap you. Yeah. So they they're incredibly tough, incredibly tough because it is wraith bone as it were. They're like mini dreadnoughts uh, uh, as we would understand them. They then have a, a thing called a wraith lord, which is 
what we would consider a dreadnought and in fact is based on the original Eldari dreadnought from first edition 40k and so these are about 15 to 16 foot tall really kind of lanky but quite elegant uh, machines that uh, are imbued with the spirit of uh, a, a dead warrior and uh, again fulfill the same role as a a human dreadnought insofar as it's they can be geared for close combat. They can be geared for fire support or uh, or for just kind of a general battlefield role. But they're frequently used to hold a single position or groups of them to assault uh, an enemy stronghold. Do so you say it's a, it's um, embodied by a single soul? Is that yes. can that they can that soul communicate with other members of the uh, army? Great question. Oh, uh, those two types of troops, in terms or war engines or or constructs, we'll call them. They can operate, uh, but it's the the spirit inside each of them views the world as if it's kind of a dream, like views reality as a dream. So they're not. They can be. They're effective. You know, you can't trust them a hundred percent to do everything you need them to do at any given time. Right. Unless they're near other living Eldari, in which case they become more, you know, more reliable. There is a, a kind of a, a cast of seer called a spirit seer who can sh- really sharpen the focus of an Eldari spirit to the point where it's as if it was alive and, and fully aware and so on. So these spirit seers are really the the kind of the fulcrum for a lot of these necromantic forces. The final kind of big construct, well, well, there's two left, but really the, bit, the, the, the largest form of walking construct is called a Wraith Knight. And these are kind of sad sack characters. They, they look incredibly impressive, but they're piloted by both a living Eldar and a dead Eldar, as in a spirit stone. And they're always bickering. <laughs> yes. Left. No. Let's yes. bank right. Uh, yeah. They they, ha- they do intend to. They do actually tend to all bicker because it has to be twins. It has to be oh, one wow. a group like a, a set of twins where one is dead, one is alive. And wow. that's- I mean, you guys aren't twins, but I could imagine you both <laughs> attempting <Yeah. laughs> to steer a knight, a wraith knight. Like, I'd be oh like, right. I'd be like, you just deal with the legs. I'll deal with the guns. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I mean, I know. They, how, so, is there is the responsibility split between them, or you know, what, how yes. does that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, so just let them work it out. <laughs> one has the left half. One has the right half. It's like we have divided this the wrong way. This is not effective. We just tear ourselves. In <laughs> what's a, what, what's that movie? Pacific Rim. It's like that. Yeah, it's like those yeah. giant walking robots. Like it's that, yeah, yeah, but they're yeah. constantly at each other. <laughs> no, the dead spirit takes over the kind of autonomic responses. So the that like. We walk without really thinking about walking, think about what's required for walking. So right. the, the dead Eldari would look after that, and the living Eldari would look after the more active kind of initiative, you know, uh, changing uh, uh, battlefield situation or reactions to changing battlefield situations. Yeah. How big is it? They're like titans, We're right? looking... Yeah, they're mini titans. Uh, so you're looking at around somewhere about forty foot tall, I think. Wow. 
that is. 30 they to 40 machines. feet tall. They are war- they are proper war machines. Uh, mm. And they, they are they are in fact about the same size as an imperial knight. They're a little bit taller, in fact. Mister Chris, um, it sounds like generally speaking, uh, units whether it's the Eldari, uh, the Imperium, and the other races, they can go toe to toe in many aspects. Like they all have their kind of ground foot troops. They have some sort of storm troop squad they have their heavy weapons and then they have their war machines and things like that nuances and obviously they don't look the same but they kind of have their own very similar setups and you know you can almost mirror the units in a lot of these races my question yes is are there eldari equivalent primarchs Ooh, good question there are but these are more that they would occupy a similar place in Eldari kind of mythology than in actual effectiveness, as it were. They would hold the same kind of spiritual significance. And these are what's referred to as the Phoenix Lords. And Phoenix Lords were the founding members of each shrine of aspect warriors within the uh, Eldari craft worlds. So the founder of the Dire Avengers is uh, Azure Men. Azure Men? Azure Men. Right. Azure Men. As, yeah, my men are fine. How are your men? Uh, they... <laughs> <laughs> like a, a good example would be uh, Fugan, who is the Phoenix Lord of the Fire Dragons. Now, he wears, or his armor is incredibly ornate incredibly intricate it looks like a walking dragon carries what's referred to as a fire pike which is a a long range melter gun and a a power axe that is in fact just an axe uh, a super red hot axe that just this is power yeah (laughs) much like uh, mace windu's lightsaber says bad motherfucker uh, yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. On the axe head. <laughs> um, it's but an axe it, that it, needs to be plugged into the mains at all times. Yeah, like, it's just a huge extension cable. <laughs> An interesting <laughs> aspect of these Phoenix Lords, I keep using aspect, uh, is that they have multiple waystones on their armor at any given time. Uh, they look like the B.A. Baracus. <laughs> yeah, they bling. The old Dari. Just just, <laughs> I mean, like not all in one place, Chris. They don't look like they're covered. They've got like some sort of infestation of scarabs on one shoulder. Um, <laughs> there's a, a touch of the, the necromantic, and there's, in fact, from the last episode, there's a touch of the, uh, the Rubik space marines of Zinch about them. Because... They will appear, and then, you know, they're they kind of King Arthur-y style. They will appear when they're most needed, and then they'll fade away into the webway. The remains are almost always found in the webway or on an abandoned Eldari maiden world. And when they're found, their armor is always hollow. Always. Mm. And so they only ever really find the armor. And an Eldari who puts on the armor has their psyche effectively drawn out of their mind and into one of these waystones. And then the personality that's the kind of collective personality of the Phoenix Lord that's trapped within the waystones around their armor goes into that kind of physical uh, Eldari. And so they, they have a level of immortality, hence 
the Phoenix Lords. Uh, they can hijack okay. other bodies. Yes. Basically. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. Is that known by the Eldar? Do they know like because surely if they knew that was the case, yeah, do they go like, oh shit, I found, you know, empty armor. I'm, I can't wait to get in this because I'll then be taken over as the Phoenix King. Um there, there is a kind of mixed bag uh, in terms of whether the Eldar are completely aware of what's required for the process of a, a, a Phoenix King or to make a Phoenix Lord, Phoenix King. Where did that come from? But uh, but in general, most Eldari are prepared to make an ultimate sacrifice to keep the race going. Right, uh, and so that's that. So yes, uh, aspect warriors and the necromantic wraith constructs of the Eldar are a, a kind of defining thing, a defining part of their kind of racial warfare. Uh, we should just touch, perhaps, on two further things the first is the other more esoteric wraith constructs they have the first being the hemlock wraith fighter so they have a a supersonic amazing jet fighter that is piloted by the dead Uh, so they have necromantic air cover Um, do the living do anything (laughs) (laughs) very little in fact very little (laughs) they do have another type of fighter which is, it's the Crimson Hunter. And the Crimson Hunter is an aspect warrior temple. So you have effectively religious super soldiers flying supersonic jets <laughs> and wiping out enemies from the... What could the, go wrong? The, the, what could yeah, go yeah, wrong? What can go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other uh, larger constructs that the Eldari have are the equivalent of Titans. And so the most famous being the Phantom Titan. And these are, you know, we're talking now, we're into the uh, 60 to 100 feet tall walking death machines, literally, piloted by crews of both living and dead. There's multiple Eldari uh, living and dead within each uh, Phantom Titan. And much like the human Titans, which are uh, dedicated to a Titan Legion, a lot of the, most if not all of the Eldari Titans are associated with a specific house. And some houses have temples across multiple craft worlds and some, most houses only uh, exist on a single craft world. Do those, do those big ones, are they part of like the standard tabletop or is it part of what's the one where they have all the big mechs? Is it Titanicus? Titanicus? Oh, Titanicus. No, you you can buy 40k scale phantom titans that tower above other things. They'll co- it'll cost you like 800 quid uh, for wow. the mini uh, to get it on the tabletop. But, you know, surprisingly effective, especially if you just pick it up and smack your enemy's force with it. <laughs> but like if you if you have like a <laughs> like a 2000 point army, is that going to be most of that allocation? You yes, you would only you would only really include it in a force where you're facing other titans by right, agreement okay. with your uh, opponent and stuff. Right, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. a bit unfair if you turn up at a competition with two of these fuckers. Just bonk. <laughs> let's let's go shoot my ankles, bitch. <laughs> two of these and a hemlock wraith fighter that doesn't have any guiding spirit that just flies into things. <laughs> <laughs> but in the very polite Eldari fashion, goes well. I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. <laughs> The uh, speaking of guidance, the final uh, thing we'll touch on with the craft world is the path of the seer. I touched earlier on uh, warlocks and far seers. 
these are the guiding councils of the Eldari uh, craft worlds who, in conjunction with what's referred to as autarchs, who are the kind of uh, non-wizard leaders of craft worlds, guide their craft worlds down kind of paths of destiny to be able to minimize the conflicts and casualties that are inevitably come their way. This is a significantly larger commitment for a specific Eldar to give to become a, 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 a warlock or a farseer, which will ultimately lead either to their death in battle or their permanent how would you describe their permanent imprisonment within the uh, a crystal forest of former farseers? As the those on the farseer path age, their body slowly turns into crystal, uh, and so when it gets to a point where like they know gun. that they can't, yeah, where they can't continue any further, they'll go into a special chamber where their crystalline form will eventually merge with the wraith core so that they can their wisdom and guidance will be added to the collective wraith core of an entire an entire craft world that's cool yeah and in terms of longevity it, it should be said that the eldrad ulthuin or no eldrad ulthuwe yeah is the longest-lived Farseer recorded so far who existed during the time of the Horus Heresy and met with some of the Primarchs, uh, one in particular. Cool. To try and influence not only the path of human civilization, but to kind of save their own craft world, which had just, for a few hundred years, existed floating through space, trying to guide fate so that they were not... Um, uh, destroyed. And what was that? What was that person's name? El, uh, Eldrad Ulthran. 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 Yes, nice. Eldrad Ulthran, uh, who is the mightiest and perhaps most ancient farseer within Eldari history, and that is an mm. that farseer exists on one uh, craft world. Mister Ben, can I ask a question that may betray the whole me not knowing anything? Go on then. Is Eldrad Ulthran part of the Cabal? He was originally uh, involved in the Cabal, yes. I'll say no more, mainly because I don't know anything else. I just, I knew that. that (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of um, having these lads appear on the tabletop, there are various uh, rules within the codices for bringing unique flavors to craft worlds. So much like the chapters of Space Marines or the regiments of the Imperial Guard, there's rules that govern how you construct an Eldar force for a specific craft world or indeed for inventing your own. There are kind of five main ones, and we'll just briefly run through them now. So uh, Eandin, whose colors are yellow and blue, are very much masters of the necromantic troop types, mostly because uh, not so long ago, their craft world was absolutely decimated by a Tyranid fleet. It effectively killed nine out of every 10 Eldar that existed on that uh, that craft world and was only turned back 
when the the dead themselves took form in the uh, the wraith constructs and absolutely obliterated every single turnid they could find. Cool. So it's very much an empty city uh, with the Eldar or the Eldari kind of breezing through. Uh, so it's a very Malorn place. That fighting force has a lot of uh, wraith constructs. It has access to spirit seers, but that gives you an idea of the, the type of extreme version you can put on the tabletop. Bieltan is a, a kind of a, a fighting, uh, how would you describe it? It's an aspect warrior heavy army where a lot of the aspect warriors who are normally uh, reserve troops like heavy support or fast attack or elite, you can actually bring them in as uh, troop choices, as basic troop choices. So you can get a very elite force together very quickly. Ally talk, ally talk, as I have been mispronouncing them for decades, literally decades. Oh God, I'm old. <laughs> they are very much like a scout force. You have a lot of pathfinders and Eldar scouts and Eldar scouts chose the path of the outcast. These are ones that kind of eschew the path system to an extent and go out into the wider universe uh, to experience what it's like and to identify threats and so forth and report back. A lot of uh, uh, scouts there, a lot of guardians, the basic troops, and a lot of walkers in terms of their war, war walkers, which are bipedal war machines that carry two heavy weapons. What then do we have? We have uh, Sime Hain, Sime Han, and that is effectively jet bike, jet bike central. Hmm. A lot of uh, a, a lot of jet bikes and hover tanks. Very few infantry that can't be mounted within a tank, and so you get a very fast, swift moving force uh, to take out uh, the the enemy. Uh, and then finally, we have Ulthui, where Eldrad Ulthran is from. And look, look at that. I pronounced it flawlessly that time. And these are... <laughs> I couldn't tell you whether you had or not, to be honest. I mean, I'll, I'll have to take your word. This is a craft world where <laughs> every single Eldar has to be a warrior because they're constantly fighting. And so while you do have aspect warriors there, you have what's referred to as the Black Guardians, who are, um, you know, on other... Craft worlds would be artisans that are every now and then warriors. These are warriors who are every now and then artisans. Uh, and so these uh, are, are a more rigorous and deadly troop type. You also get various levels of seer associated with that because such a focus is put on protecting your troops and having warlocks, uh, battle wizards effectively, and farseers uh, involved on kind of day-to-day -day military operations. So those five craft worlds are kind of the core five that have appeared in all the editions, but they give you an example of the specialization that you can go to within an Eldar, an Eldari army. Craft worlds. Bam. There we go. Chris. You might <laughs> sigh at this question. A craft world is an Eldari world. That's what, I, no. that's what you call all no. Eldari worlds. Cra craft worlds. Oh, only, only the yeah, ones that are cities, floating cities. Craft worlds are just the float, off. artificial, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, like yeah. spaceships, basically. Okay, okay. I, I was waiting for you to go. Uh, you might groan at this, but I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Could you repeat the last? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that goes without saying, Darren. <laughs> the last two hours, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what's an Eldari? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have a question. 
What um, in terms of Eldar Eldari yeah. physiology? Are they much the same as humans? I know that they're obviously humanoid. They obviously look a little bit more, yeah. as you say, svelte, a bit more slender. But are they the same height? Um, the same yes, makeup generally. They like if the if an Eldar and a human were standing still, or rather, if an Eldar and a really really attractive skinny human were standing still, you'd be tough pushed to tell the difference. The moment an Eldar moves, they have a grace that we will never be able to match. So you could tell instantly that it was a, an, an alien being, a Xenos. By the way, they cartwheel out the room. Yeah, <laughs> no. Not I mean, it's it's an unfortunate thing, and I don't know why they included it, but they Zoidberg scuttle everywhere. It's really distracting. But let's just close out this episode then with the Exodites. The Exodites, or the Arboreals, as we'll call them, they uh, very much followed in the same mold as the craft worlds in setting up their uh, their home destination. There is a wraith-bone kind of planet spirit core, a planet tree core, which operates the same function as a kind of necromantic battery uh, to protect the spirits and souls of the exodites uh, upon death. These... Eldar don't really follow the same kind of path system as the Craftworlders because they feel they don't really need to. They are, they've eschewed a lot of the more kind of uh, hedonistic practices and kind of highfalutin cultural practices. They're really kind of Eldari hillbillies. And and I and I use that term really as as a pejorative, and, and you know, and I stand by it. Uh, they, um, Could you imagine? But culturally, it's that kind of idea. Yes. So they've gotten rid of most of their vehicular technology and ride, as Ben has uh, intimated at the very well, not intimated, said it right at the start of this episode. Dinosaurs. <laughs> dinosaurs. They yeah. ride space dinosaurs. Um, just dinosaurs spinosaurs so there was no real or I should say before we crack on there's never really been any miniatures for these uh, figures outside of uh, uh, test miniatures for the epic game system the small scale uh, literally a single figure is six mils tall Wow. however rules did appear for them in second edition uh, 40k where you could field squads of velociraptor riding eldari knights and <laughs> to give you a kind of a vision of what these would be these would look like uh, yes the kind of jurassic park size velociraptor in you know with a saddle with an eldar knight who has a mix of kind of wood elfy and dragony kind of motif armor a laser lance, a helmet, and probably a shield as well as they smash into uh, the opponent's ranks. So very much a kind of, you know, more of a fantasy sci-fi than a sci-fi fantasy, if you take my meaning. Um, They have various size... Sorry, go on. I was just going to expand on that. There does seem an odd choice of mount and weaponry when you're up against las cannons plasma cannons and other cannons 
<laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> it's just cannons. Riding a All prehistoric animal. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming it's prehistoric. Shit, they've got cannons. Release the dinosaurs. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible idea. I mean, they do have... I mean, that's not the only troop type they have. That's the most common in terms of Oh, they have a big fuck-off bomb yes. as well. Yeah, okay, fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 They do have uh, heavy weapons mounted on top of triceratops. Uh, they do have... Yeah. Triceratai? Triceraposis? They do have castles, small castles built on top of giant brachiosaurs or diplodoci. They also have... <laughs> pterodons, pterodactyls uh, being ridden into battle, not sexually, and were able to drop bombs onto uh, opposing forces and scout ahead. So they have, they do have a huge mix of dinosaur-based war machines. Um, it's just more mouse to feed, isn't it? Like, they seem like the avatar <laughs> of crap. the 40k <laughs> world. Always, always comes down to the function with you, doesn't it? Yeah, the avatar, you know, the I can't remember what the race is, but avatar, and they and, and they go up against the... But, the, but the... how are these people paid? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of dung. That's a lot of dung to clear up, you know? Yeah, but they're, they're living on a paradise of a world that they've created themselves. It's very sparsely populated. There's only a handful of million uh, Eldari Exodites on a given maiden world, even if that many. Um, What's the Exodite to dinosaur ratio? Uh, I would say it's probably six to two, uh, which is I, what I like to call three to one uh, <laughs> dinosaur. <laughs> I got carried away. To... <laughs> no, I, I is... went. Is it six to one? I said no. It's not that many. Maybe, maybe, maybe six, six to two. To... Wait. Three to one. <laughs> <laughs> so for every Eldari, there's three dinosaurs. Yeah. Awesome. It does, I, I, it's an interesting concept of paradise, isn't it? It's like right. Let's yeah. make this verdant planet and then put dinosaurs on it. It's like yeah. Well, like like really kind of like like the the ones that eat plants that like herbivores no no we'll put yeah. velociraptors on there it'll be great <laughs> <laughs> but they i mean they do have their own versions of uh far seers they have their own versions of in quotes aspect warriors but these are really kind of the kind of dinosaur dragon knights that are more dragon knighty than any other dragon knight and they you know they have uh, cities. So in some cases, they have small towns that are mobile, but only mobile because they're pulled by a load of dinosaurs. Imagine the smell on that in a bad day. <laughs> uh, do they have any kind of that like hover technology? They do have access Pterodactyls. to <laughs> yeah. hover. <laughs> Not flapping technology. Oh, you can hover. You can make one hover. It it it, it doesn't stay up for long. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they do have access to all this, the, the more highly advanced aspects of, of Eldari culture. They just choose not to bother. They choose to stay away from the things that, uh, if they can do themselves, they will, because that was the problem. The problem was, with Eldari culture before the fall, was everything was, oh, we can get something to do it for us. So you didn't have to do anything, which meant nothing, you know, it's that... I've forgotten who said it, which really struck me. It was like about rich people, uh, how they're never really happy. Because if everything is great, you can afford the best of everything. So if everything is great, nothing is good. 
Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. It's that nothing yeah. impresses you anymore. Um, yeah. So it's very much the, the exodus have baby. turned their back. Yeah. So yeah. they can do all these things. They've just chosen to turn their back on. So when the different Eldari factions and races meet up, you get fucking the hover bike dudes vroom, turning up. You get the hover tank dudes. You even just get the regular foot soldiers just mooching along. And then you get this big fucking brontosaurus pulling a big fucking thing on. I'm guessing it's on wheels or something like that because they don't they choose not to have hover anything and how do they how, how do the bro- uh, so many questions alright I'm just what's, gonna... what, right. what, so, sorry, what's, so, what was on wheels so, what were you saying was on wheels what, the, the thing the, that these the, big the brontosaurus are pulling <laughs> yeah the, bo- <laughs> the brontosaurus on wheels pulling yeah, roller blades. anything yeah. on wheels <laughs> that's amazing no. that is giant Eldari rollerblades <laughs> <laughs> so an exodite on a velociraptor on ice skates <laughs> Let's God damn! Do this. A, a, a rollerblading <laughs> massive brachiosaurus. Imagine the size of the knee pads. That'd be crazy. <laughs> oh, they don't need knee pads, bro. <laughs> imagine, imagine the neck pad. The neck pad would be enormous. <laughs> oh, um, pad. You've never roller skated before, have you? Whenever, no. Whenever, um, look at me. I mean, I I wear a helmet just for walking. Uh, the um, so. Whenever a, a craft world Eldari meets an Exodite Eldari, they're kind of dripping with condescension because they view the Exodites as the kind of backwards hillbilly cousins of their forebearers. Yeah. They look badass. Some of these minis look really badass, but I just feel that they're a, a handicap compared to the people with floating war machines and don't need to feed their dinosaur sugar cubes every few every so often and treat them yeah, yeah well i suppose in terms of uh in terms of the war game yeah you're, you're probably right that's probably why there's never been huge kind of runs of dinosaur miniatures for 40k but uh in terms of lore it sort of makes sense if you're trying to avoid the hedonism of uh of your forebears you need to kind of turn your back on all of that stuff yeah what yeah, you'll find cool. though they do look cool in uh, in terms of uh, the relation between craft worlds and uh, maiden worlds, a lot of craft worlds have uh, portals, warp gates that they're a- or web gates, webway gates that they're able to get into these um, exodite planets, into these maiden worlds. So a lot of the maiden worlds are sort of under the kind of condescending protection of craft worlds. So if a human exploratory fleet ever lands on one of these maiden worlds, uh, suddenly not only are you facing the kind of sporadic effectiveness of dino riders, but also suddenly there's craft world eldar they are uh, shooting you up getting you to fuck off and never come back to the planet again the dinosaurs were just a decoy like <laughs> these dino riding idiots they're not a threat Woo! and here comes the technology <laughs> i mean chris I, i'll be honest with you i suspect a lot of those dinosaurs are inflatable <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> timmy malleted some dinosaurs timmy malleted, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we done Wrap it up, baby. 
All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. Again, if you're keen to support this show, just click on the support us link in the description and give us all of the money that you own. We'll be back again <laughs> soon, displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, ta-ta. Farewell, Alfredo Zen. Goodbye. See you, chumps! Yeah.